0: For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. Hey y'all, Shanisha here with Living Corporate. As you know, we're about having real talk in the corporate world. With that in mind, before we get into this amazing discussion with Lionel Lee, we want to let you know this content makes mention of violence, which may be upsetting. So if you're listening with some little ones, discretion is advised.
1: What's up, y'all? It's Zach with the Living Corporate Podcast. And of course, you know what we do we have interviews, uh, conversations, right? that uh, serve to amplify the voices of black and brown folks at work. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we typically have black and brown folks, leaders, executives, creatives, entrepreneurs, you name it, on the show, having real conversations about real topics. And today is no different. We actually had with us today a very special guest, very excited to speak with this person. Um, Been in contact with him for a little while. And just finally excited to see, like, get him on the show. Because, like, we've been texting and then we talk on LinkedIn and then, you know, we, you know whatever. Like, we've been trying to coordinate. Even today, we were coordinating back and forth. Lionel Lee. Lionel Lee is the head of diversity engagement at Zillow Group. He provides career development support to underrepresented employees and works with executives to develop equity and belonging policies to improve employee experiences. He also serves as a connector between employees and community organizations. Prior to joining Zillow Group, he worked in talent acquisition sourcing candidates across technology and banking industries. Okay, so really quick, y'all. All of that to say, he's by the people for the people. You see what I'm saying? Okay. Helping communities has always been a constant throughout his life. Lionel has created and developed community groups that promote health and wellness. He's worked with HIV, AIDS education groups, substance abuse, addiction organizations, as well as health groups for youth. Lionel has immigrated to the United States from Korea at age five. His experiences growing up in South Central Los Angeles and later in the projects of Honolulu, Hawaii, I'm gonna ask a question about that in a little bit. Help nurture his passion for community building. With all that being said, Lionel, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well, man. Thank you. Appreciate it.
1: Now, look, you know, of course, I got all these questions for you and everything, but the first thing I got to ask you, you talk about the projects of Honolulu, Hawaii has yep.
0: projects.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Honolulu has projects. Uh, and growing up there in the '70s and partial '80s, yeah, it was it was kind of rough because most people don't know about that because what they see about Honolulu and hear about Honolulu is that it's just a paradise, but it's not really a paradise for all, you know, the level of poverty there still to this day is a scene. Uh, But back then it was like where I grew up in Kalihi, uh, Kalihi is a town right outside of Waikiki. Yeah. uh, And it's the projects are called Kuyo Park Terrace. Uh, We call it KPT or Killer Park Terrace. Uh, kill people today that's what it was and i lived on the 16th floor and i had to actually walk up the stairs to get to my apartment uh, because there was a, a young lady that got her head cut off in the elevator so the oh parents kids, you know um catch the elevator and then you know you have the same stuff that you have in a lot of different projects you know you have a lot of drug abuse and you, know, you have people defecating in the stairwells, so hmm. that was now you walked into every single day. The crazy thing is that the dude that cut off the woman's head lived two doors down from me. Yeah, and he dude. kept the head. What? He
1: kept the head. But um, you, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait. You said he kept the head.
2: He kept the head. He was. He was. Um. He was a Cambodian dude, and he was just mentally disturbed. You know, he just had some serious stuff going on, and uh, he kept the head. And uh, we found out like, you know, like two weeks after it had happened, you know, um, it was it was a very it was a very different kind of place. Very violent. Uh, You can still look up. Actually, you can go on YouTube and look up videos from Cuyo Park Terrace and uh, they'll they'll show you videos of what it's like at KPT to this day. To this
1: to this day. That is that is that is wow. That is shocking. I'm going to tell you. You know, Lionel. Um, in your short uh, three minutes of being on Living Corporate Podcast, you have given us the most uh, gangster introduction we've ever had. And I'm not making light of anything. I'm just taking. Ab- I'm very taken aback by this. Um, wow. What a yeah, story. I don't.
2: I don't have the typical. You know, I don't have the pedigree of someone that's in my position. Definitely, I'm not. You know, I just wasn't raised like that. I wasn't. You know, I didn't think I was going to go to college. I didn't go to college. I didn't get a degree. Um, you know, had to work and do all that kind of stuff It's just, I was given certain opportunities And uh, took advantage of every single one You know, made the very best that I could And I've always had a tremendous work ethic You know, just, uh, you know, been out of my house since I was 17 years old I lived in my car for like three days <clears throat> Just so I could be out here, you know yeah. And just doing my thing You know, just doing my thing and just trying to keep it moving Wow
1: well, uh, <laughs> kind of get kind of just to start there. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about this. So you've already you've started on that that path, but kind of talk to us about your journey from um, from Hawaii uh, to the the head of diversity engagement at Zillow. What did that look like?
2: I was a go-go dancer at one time. That was pretty weird. Uh, I, uh, i've done everything man like i can do stuff around my house like right now i'm remodeling my house and my kids will be like where'd you learn how to do that And i was like man it wasn't nothing about learning i just had to survive
1: <laughs> wait 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 so let's take a step back you said you were you were a what dancer
2: i was a go-go dancer for, <laughs> for a little bit yeah yeah when i was like young you know and uh uh that kind of stuff and I was so I was raised extremely religious. My grandfather is a Baptist minister. Okay. Um, and I was raised in the church, so we didn't go out and do that kind of stuff a lot, you know. And I went to like school dances every once in a while. I Always liked to dance. Um, and uh, so as soon as I got in my house, and you know, I didn't have nobody telling me what I could and could not do. You know, I got caught up in the dance club scene for a while, and I was going there a lot. And I dude that owned the club, you know, he asked me one day if, you know, I'd want to just come in and, you know, get paid for it. Right. Yeah. But it was it was like I don't know if you remember, I don't know how old you are, but twenty nine it was just one dance that I was really good at. It was the prep. I don't know if you remember what the prep is.
1: No, what's the prep?
2: Uh it's just a dance that, you know, like a lot of black folks did, you know, back then. Um You know i'd have to show it to you in order for you to know what it was but people around my age group they know what that dance is and i was really good at it you can be extremely creative with it okay you know Mm -hmm. so the dude just kind of you know i didn't get paid like a lot it was like a that was my part-time gig my full-time gig was you know managing the church's fried chicken which was down the street from the club (laughs) right so after work at church's fried chicken i would shoot over there and back then they would throw some you know neon sweater or something on me and then I get on there and you know do my thing (laughs) so yeah that's that's a that's a a a snippet of my background but uh the way that I got into where I'm at now is um funny thing is I met a dude on a basketball court right like um when I was in my late 20s and it was one of those stereotypical things you know I got into a fight with this dude on the basketball court you know like you know you get in a fight on a basketball court they find out you can fight and then all of a sudden everybody want to be your friend right (laughs) so dude wanted to be my friend who was a white dude and I had never had too much interaction with white people honestly and definitely not on a a personal you know like friendship level that just wasn't the way I was raised so I was kind of cautious and uh, at that time I worked for an organization called Street Outreach Services and it was a HIV AIDS um, prevention organization. Uh, it was led by this amazing sister from Brooklyn. Her name was Imani Wood. She recently passed like a couple of years ago. And I consider her one of the strongest individuals I've ever met and was lucky enough to have her as a mentor for a very large portion of my life. But anyway, so she and I were working together and then I came up with this crazy idea that what we should be doing is we should be documenting, you know, crack addicts and crack dealers under the age of 18. Because that's, that's, a, that's a, a group that we were not capturing. So the city of Seattle liked the idea. My my organization liked the idea. So I ended up doing that for about two and a half years. So I was going into crack houses and stuff like, you know, three o'clock in the morning, you know, four o'clock in the morning, and dealing with the whole bunch of kids. And I dealt with the kids. I mean, I, I, I had... One sister, her name was beautiful, literally, and she was 13 years old. You know, she was 13 years old with a baby and she was a crack dealer. And she was a crack dealer. So, you know, so I had to deal with that. And that kind of stuff is emotionally extremely taxing. And uh, the, I just couldn't do it as, as um, I, I couldn't put as much of myself into it as I was. so I was starting to get burnt out. And dude, you know, he was a recruiter this white dude that I had met, right? He was like, hey, you know, you ever thought about, like, recruiting? And I was like, I don't even know what that is, man. And he brought me up to his office to show me what he did. And, like, a lot of young black men and young black women and kids that come from, you know, uh, lesser economic areas, you know, when I saw a computer, I thought, nah, I can't do that, you know, because, you know, computers are magic, right? They're They're not meant for me. They're meant for, like, geniuses, right? You know? You know, black kids can't do math, you know, black kids can't do this kind of stuff. And I and I bought into a lot of that. I bought into a lot of that kind of stuff. But I had a two year old child, so I had to do something, you know, because I wasn't making enough money. And I wanted him to have a better lifestyle than I did growing up. So I took him up on it and I, you know, shot across the bridge um, over into Bellevue. Uh, from Seattle, and in, I don't know if you know Seattle, but Seattle, you have east side, west side. And uh, when you go across that bridge, man, it's completely different, extremely affluent, uh, very, very white. You know, as a brother back in the you know 90s, yeah. you couldn't be on that side if you weren't an athlete, right? Or somebody else, you know, that they recognized. Because if you were a black person that they didn't recognize, the cops would give you a hard time. Like, literally, they would follow you around and stuff, right? But I went over there, and I interviewed, and I interviewed with, like, nine blonde-haired, blue-eyed women, man, sitting around the table. (laughs) I was like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. And uh, they offered me the job. You know, and I was like, whoa, what do I do now? And at that same time, I was actually interviewing with the fire department. And walking out of that office, I drove, like, this beat-up 1984 Volvo. You know, and when I say it was beat up, I mean, it was beat up. It was a hundred and something thousand miles on it. Oh, wow. Uh, Paint was peeling, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, I put on the best clothes that I had at that time. It was a bucket. I mean, it was (laughs) a bucket. And uh, I'm walking out and every car in the parking lot is like Mercedes, Audi's, BMW's, you know, that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I can do this. And so I accepted and um, started there. And struggled, man. I struggled a lot. I mean, I struggled so bad the first three months. It's a very large organization. It's called EDP, Contract Services. Now I think they're called TAC Worldwide. okay. And it's one of the largest uh, recruiting organizations in the world. Um, at that time, I forget exactly how many people they had, but I know that at one time I was ranked like something like 2,000-something out of the company of recruiters. Um, and wow. uh, by the time... I had to make a decision at one point because the, you know, because I was basically told that I could be pretty successful in this if I got the street out my voice, right? So I started turning like, you know, I, I went home and was like frustrated over it, you know, and you know my girl at that time she was pretty hood too, so she was like, damn, you know, we can sue them, blah 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 blah, you know. But I went to bed with my two-year-old son, you know, and I was like, man, you know, I I got to do something real time. So, Made up my mind. You know, I made up my mind that, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And I walked into the office the next day. I got there at 6 o'clock in the morning. Nobody was there. And uh, didn't leave till like, 8 o'clock at night. And then I did that for, like, a whole year. And I became number two in the company. And um, oh, wow. my income went up something like 300% in a year.
1: Good, um, awesome.
2: <clears throat> and so I figured out that, yeah, I can do this. And, um... Then I went to I went to uh, San Francisco.
0: Right after that, I got
2: recruited by a staffing firm there. Uh, didn't like them too much, so I started my own staffing firm. We did two point five million in our second year business, and that was just like you know three of us, right? And uh, we added some people on and that kind of stuff. And then I came back to Seattle, and again, you know, got recruited by another company. Became the. Um, uh, manager recruiting for a startup during the dot com era I uh, was killing it there and then the dot com bubble burst and then I went to Washington Mutual as their diverse executive recruiter Okay, and that was probably one of the worst work experiences I've ever had because what, what happened so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what happened was that they they wanted this person but one of the head people in this department didn't want this person They didn't feel the need for a diversity executive recruiter. So they waited for her to go on maternity leave and then behind her back hired me. Right. So I see my first day of work. I'm walking down the hall and this woman walks up to me and she goes, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Lionel. And she goes, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I run diversity executive recruitment here. And she just looked at me and I got this like it was chilling. Like this look was crazy. And then next thing I know, man, like seven months later, eight months later, you know, maybe, you know, close to a year later, you know, the whole group was disbanded and uh, we all had to leave and, you know, go do our thing. And it was kind of crazy too, the way that they told you was, you know, they asked you to come in for an early morning meeting. I went in for an early morning meeting and they had HR there and they said it's disbanded.
1: And then where does Zillow come in part in the play? Uh, 2007 hit man. 2007,
2: 2008, 2009. You know, and I went through all my money, and I had to get back to work. You know, so I joined a a really small uh, recruiting firm that was, you know, bull. Uh, <laughs> they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> but then there was this other recruiting firm that I really wanted, and I went and joined them, and they were amazing. And I oh, that's one of the crazy things too is the dude that hired me. He's like this really young, comparatively me i think he's like you know close to 40 now republican white dude right and he hired me on yeah to yeah. The company and i go in there and i'm on the phone the first day and he said hey lionel can i talk with you for a second i was like yeah what's up and he goes man who the hell is that on the on the phone and i was like what are you talking about he goes do you know you sound white and i was like what he goes yeah when you talk to me normally you know we're fine but whenever you get on the phone you sound white And that's because of what I learned in the earlier part of my career. Yeah, I was code switching, and I told him, "Well, you know, that's how I'm." He goes, "Nah, man, I don't think that's why you're successful. You know, I would really love to see you be you. I got enough white dudes in my office. That's why I hired you." (laughs) Oh, okay. And uh, then I started really, like, you know, uh, trying to understand what what just happened, and the reason I ended up here at Zillow Group, I stayed there for like five years, six years, right? And I ended up killing it, yeah. there. it. Was always either number one or number two. And the reason I ended up here is that the person who had, who had hired me on at Washington Mutual, um, she became the vice president of um, of talent acquisition here at Zillow. And she, I started my own company after a while again, right? And she was one of my clients. Okay. And she mm-hmm. to come in and she said, Lionel, you know, this is like 2016 right um, like now we're really trying to do this diversity thing man but we don't know what we're doing you know would you want to help us? And I said um, well I can you know put something together you know I talked about it with them a little bit uh, they wanted me to do it I couldn't dedicate time to it because I had my own staffing firm at that time and my staffing firm was doing extremely well um, but what happened was that it, it kind of grabbed a part of me that I didn't know really existed my experience in tech as a black man was horrible i mean it was horrible so i decided that you know by doing this i would be given an opportunity to better the experiences of other people that are underrepresented in the tech space right because when i was starting out you know there was no other i mean it was me it was me and I was probably the only one that I knew with the exception of like one or two that worked in other agencies. But it was me. Right. And it was horrible. I hated it. I mean, I couldn't. There's no way that I could tell somebody that. Yeah, this is a good day. I woke up every single day begrudging going to work. Um, and eventually I was able to push down to the point where I didn't realize that, you know, that there was a part of me that was always anxious. Yeah. Right. And that's what I get a chance to change. You know, within this organization. And then what I'm hoping for is that this organization will be, um, you know, will, will be like a, you know, like a, like a beacon for others to take a look a at. And Star, yeah. Do, right. What did they do to make a difference? Right. Because we did. We changed how we are as a company. We've changed the way that we're perceived. Um, you know, people want to come to work here you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, the brown and black folks here are much happier now than they were. We know that because I'm very data-driven. And uh, we took some surveys and things like that that let us know that the things we're doing are working. But that's how I ended up uh, in this position. And um, I was a consultant at first. And, uh, they, you know, we talked about 20 hours a week. 20 became 40, became 60, became an obsession.
1: You know, because I, you know, I was like, ooh, I get a chance to... Really move the needle some way, yeah.
2: Yeah, not just move the needle, but, you know, just, you know, we talk a lot in those kind of terms, right? Like move the needle, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And the way that I looked at it was never really like that. You know, the way that I was looking at it was, you know, improve the day-to-day experience of the underrepresented worker going into the tech space. That was my, that's my driver, right? The way that I describe what I do is that my job is to make sure that everybody that comes to work is happy and feels like they belong that's my job that is my job and i i i, I don't like to say i love my job because i don't i don't think in those in that way but i'm extremely proud of what we've done here at zolo group i'm extremely proud and i'm hoping to continue on this path and, you know, continue to make us an employer of
1: choice. I mean, what can I say? I mean, I hear you. This is, this is incredible. Look, I have a, I have another question, but I want to, I want to get into this really quick though. Um, You talk about some of the things that y'all are doing here and like they've been surveying well, what are some of those things that you've been able to do at Zillow um, that, that you believe have um, helped to, improve the sense of belonging and inclusiveness uh, for black and brown folks.
2: Well that's the that was the thing, right? Because one of the things that they had asked me to do is go out and find best practices. And the crazy thing is that there were no best practices because nobody was really killing it. Nobody's numbers said that they were killing it. Right. Right? So I had to come up with my own stuff. But what that gave me was green field so I can do a couple things. So one of the first things that I did is I was walking through the office one day and we had this wall of speakers, right? And, uh, the speakers, I looked at that wall and it's a pretty big wall of all these, you know, um, headshots of all these speakers that we've had come into the office. And I was like, damn, every single person on there is white. Like literally like every single person on there is white, except for one brother that we had. And of course he was a football player. Of course. Right. Of course, like, Come on. And, you know, so I changed that immediately. That was one of my goals to change that. And I did that. You know, we brought in people like Van Jones. We brought in people, um that were from the Islamic community we brought in people from the Latinx community um, totally changed that whole landscape right and then we started talking about like just simple things like events you know because that's one of the things that techs, tech companies are known for right we have these crazy ass parties and everybody has a good time Yeah, but not everybody gets down like that you know what I mean right. like I didn't grow up that way. You know, I don't go out and, you know, I'm not one of those people that like to imbibe in that way. And that's how I party. That's not what I do. I like the music. I like the dance. I like that kind of stuff, you know, and not saying that we're all the same, but there are certain foundational pieces that make us a little bit the same, us black folks, right? And so we started going like parties, but I would tell the dudes that came in, I started going out and creating relationships with external organizations that were representative of underrepresented groups within our company. So we had professional organizations that I went and made uh, agreements with, and then they would come in and they would throw the parties. And they asked me, they said, well, how black do you want this to be? I was like, I want it to be as black as you want to make
1: it. Right. It needs needs to be black, black with a
2: cute. It It needs to be because you have people here from, you know, predominantly black areas, right? you got a kid that grew up in a predominantly black area. He goes to an HBCU, you know, does really well there. And then all of a sudden he's thrown into this, right? Where he's one of, I think we're at like 9% or something like that, right? right we're right. still in that area, right? And then he's just got to like hang out and do what these guys do. You know, why don't we give him some of what he had back home? You know, why don't we create a sense of community for him? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so we did that, and uh, then we started taking a look at some of the things, and it's all from my own experience, right? One of the things that um, that really bothered me is like when all the brothers was getting shot. You know, I felt completely alone in the office, and I had nobody to talk to about it, right? And uh, what we did is we start we create a forum here where people can, when things like that happen. For example, when the El Paso shooting happened recently. You know, we had a forum here inside the office where people from the Latinx community can get together, along with people that were not from that community, but allies that were in positions of power and strength here at the company. We all got together and we had a conversation and we, you know, uh, basically videoed, you know, videotaped everybody in from all the other offices and we had this, you know, straight up conversation about what this feels like. And that made a difference in people's experience, right? And uh, then we talked about how do we do our recruiting? We started taking a look at I started taking a look at how we do the recruiting in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of our people that come on board come on from internships. So how do we affect that? Well, we start uh, creating uh, relationships with organizations that are representative of us. So we start a relationship with NESPE, uh National Society of Black Engineers. We yeah. start a relationship with SHIP, Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers. Right? And then we put into practice talking to the CTO, the Chief Technology Officer, who is just, you know, he's he's cool. He's just really cool. Right. And uh, I gave him my aha moment when I took him to AfroTech like two years ago.
1: Oh yeah, shout right? to AfroTech and Blavity. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, by Blavity, right? And I took him. He was one of the only white dudes there, and I was like, look, you know, I'm going to introduce some people. You're going to have some good conversations, and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. Just so like cool but he walks in and there's thousands of black people man where people are telling him, oh we can't be found which
1: is bull- it is know? man no it is it's so annoying like it's annoying. It's an, it's, well it's, it's annoying and it's insulting and it's racist right so you say like, okay. it, it is so you say well we can't find we can't find this talent this ones like look we are all over and like look afrotech is uh, is a is an obvious one, but man, there are also like a lot of like local, yeah, right groups, yeah. right? Like there's all like yeah. if you go to any major city, there's some grassroots coding group that is mm-hmm. black and brown, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and honestly, and honestly, even if you <laughs> just take the time mm-hmm. and look in the PWIs that you recruit, and if you just look right. one more time, they're there too. It's like we're here,
2: right? Right? And then so what? What we did, he saw that, and he came back, and he was like, "What do we do?" And I said, well, well, let's let's figure out some strategies. What we started doing is that we started making because Boeing's been doing this forever. But Boeing's been going to Nesby and making offers on the spot. Right. And so it was like, OK, well, let's do that. And we started doing that and we started increasing our numbers because of that. Right. And then those kids that were coming in as interns, we started converting them the full time. And then on top of it, their experience as workers here is real cool because like I'll walk by, you know, I'll talk to them and be like, Hey, what's happening, brother? You know, how you doing? And they'll look at me like
1: even that alone, which is huge. small, right? this huge it's small. It's really, really small, but
2: it's so important, right? People gotta feel like they belong. People gotta feel like they're appreciated. Right? That's 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 what has to happen. Man. And that's what we started doing. That was, that's one of the things. I can go on and on, man. We've done When I say I'm proud of the work that we've done here, I'm extremely proud of the work that we've done here. And the... Rightfully so. Yeah, the executives have been fully on board. Um, You know, we also do this other thing where we understand that the C-level, the C-suite has to be on board. So we do a thing called the EMB Learning Series, which is twice a month. You know, we get together myself, uh, the senior VP of uh, comedian culture. And some other key individuals that are well versed in this space we'll get together with a bunch of people from the c-suite and we'll sit down and we'll talk for about an hour hour and a half about whatever it is right it could be a current event that has impacted an underrepresented group or it could be about something that they've uh encountered themselves right they want to know more about right so we work with them and they get to learn to get to learn what's happening and it changes their perspective and it changes the way that they go out and approach things and and make decisions right we have our ceo our ceo is like one of the only ceos where you know in his um in his signature file you know he has a pronouns right right you know because that's important you know to understand that not everybody identifies in that way understand. understanding that people identify differently is extremely important because it it puts you in a different place in your learning in your journey and that's how we got here i mean there's know i can go on and on but that would take up
1: your whole segment. well no 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 this is great and look Lionel, we we just have you back it's not a problem man we'll just have you, you just come on back <laughs> uh, but, but this is it's, it's interesting really quickly about the pronoun point right so you know some research that living corporate has been doing you know what i'm saying on our white paper if you check us out uh on the website you know you'll see us on there and we talk about the fact that you know 14% of millennials. Um, Identify as trans and non-binary, right? So mm-hmm. it's a it's a real statistic. Um, oh, it's a real
2: statistic. I mean, it's real, and uh, you know, it's there's so many there's so many different groups of people that do not feel like they belong. You know, mm-hmm. they just you know, especially with the the current climate in our country today, um, that kind of stuff, the 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 divisiveness of our country today, um, and you know, we just we want to make sure in our company, and we've been voted like one of the best places to work forever, right? Um. You know, forever. But what was not being considered was that not everybody felt that way. It was not the best place to work for everyone. Mm -hmm. We found that out through our data. You know, we pulled some data that showed us that. So our goal is to make this the best place to work for everyone. And we don't, I mean, we look at everyone and make sure that they're taken care of. And we started our ERGs here two years ago. Uh, We dedicated a lot of resources to it. Uh, It has its own program manager that manages everything. That's his full-time gig. That's what he does uh, to make sure that they're good. You know, we have all the infrastructure in place for that. They're fully capitalized. Um, Yeah, we do. You know, we do a lot of stuff here that a lot of companies don't do. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that we didn't follow any best practices because like i said we didn't find it so we had to create our
1: own no that's that's incredible and you're absolutely this is the thing it's so interesting because as commercialized and i'm gonna say it colonized as diversity and inclusion has become right like as a mm-hmm. as a space mm-hmm. when it comes to right. actually delivering and doing the work we're still very mm-hmm. much so in our infancy right like we don't there's oh, not yeah. there's not a there's not a blueprint for anything
2: no no there isn't and that's Yeah, I would agree with you that uh, there's a lot of stuff in our space that, you know, I kind of like you know look at three, four times, too. You know, like, really, that's what we're going to do now. That's what we're going to do. But, you know, that's the thing is that, you know, let's be creative. You know, let's let's figure it out. And for me, it was very personal. You know, that's why, you know, a lot of the stuff that we did here was me imagining me, you know, sitting there at work. You know, what would I want? You know, when I was, when I first started in this stuff, what would I want? I'd want to be able to come into work and feel like I can be the best me possible, right? But I don't have to, like, play by nobody else's rules about how I talk, how I walk, and all those kind of things. I don't believe that people should or can bring their whole selves to work. I don't believe in that. I think that, you know, there's some you need to leave at home, right? <laughs> I don't need, you know, like my grandmother used to tell me, you know, tell some, keep a lot, you know what I mean? Don't you don't need people knowing everything.
1: No, uh, you know what? Right? At the same time, yeah, keep going.
2: At the same time, you should be able to. You should be able to be comfortable when you go to work. You shouldn't have to code switch as much. You shouldn't, you know, have to wonder about your place there as much. You know what I mean? I do. No, you,
1: you're one hundred percent right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's what that's what we did.
1: I, I love that you said you said share a little bit, keep a lot. But you're right though, and some of that lineell is cultural, right? Like, yeah. like right. So I would say black and brown folks, and I'll just speak for my my experience. Like I was raised, you know, you keep your business to yourself, right? Like there's certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas then you know there's stereotypes that white folks love to just tell everything they got going. They talk about the medication they're taking if they're if they're depressed. And, you know, they they'll share everything. But you're right. Like I'm not tripping on. I don't have to necessarily my quote, quote unquote whole self. Like I don't have to do that. But I should feel comfortable, right? I should feel comfortable. I should not feel uncomfortable and dread going to work or feel like, man, just so otherized to the point where I can't even function. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And being othered is real. And it's difficult for people to see that, you know, like, Oh, you know, we're paying you, you know, you're, you know, I don't know why you don't feel appreciated. You know, it's that kind of stuff. And it's like, man, you know, if I'm coming into work, and I can't wait to get home. Not because, you know, I just don't want to be at work for whatever reason, but just because I don't feel comfortable. And when I get home is when I feel
1: comfortable. That's a problem. You know what I mean?
2: Or I'm dreading I'm dreading going to a company event because I don't feel comfortable. You know, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's why there's more brothers, there's there's more brothers and sisters that are consultants than full time employees.
1: Man. listen we oh my goodness so look line line, line, line we're gonna have to we're gonna, you're gonna have to come back because i got like four more topics <laughs> we can talk about but you're 100 percent right right like you think about like it's like it's these temporary transient mm-hmm. uh roles right that right. that that give you space but then also like but they give you space to kind of t- to move around and not get too uncomfortable in these environments um not to mention the pattern where i'm seeing a lot of black and brown folks are in these like non client facing positions. Like they'll, you'll typically put them right. in like the security tech roles, right? Let me not even, let me not step on too many toes today. Um, let's keep going though. Cause I, <laughs> I want to respect your time. Let's get into how you and I connected. So of course, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm active, active on there, but I see mm-hmm. you on there and you send me a link about a project you're working on, which really got my attention. Um, and I'd love to, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. As well as um, and just kind of your passion and interest as to why you're doing the work that you're doing on it.
2: Yeah, um, I think you're referring to the microaggressions survey that we sent out. That's right. So uh, Rebecca Bastian is the VP of Comedian Culture here. She's my boss, right? Um, I have a, a direct line to her, and then a daughter line to the Chief People Officer. She and I sit right next to each other. We're just an open kind of space. And uh, she's a contributing writer for Forbes. Um, so she was writing this thing on microaggressions. And I was like, let me read that. And I read it and it talked about microaggressions towards women. Right? And more of my towards women. And I was like, man, that's crazy, you know, because we suffer from microaggressions. And she was like, you do. I know that. And I was like, yeah, I know you know that, but you know, there's no data around it. Why don't we do our own survey? You know, because we couldn't find no data, right? we, did do research or whatever. And she was like, yeah, I would love to write a, write something on that, but you know, I can't find any data. And I said, well, let's, let's create our own data. You know? So she put a survey together and I sent it out to my network, which is pretty broad. Um, and then many of my, many, uh, that's, that's one thing I want to thank everybody for, including yourself. You know, many of them sent them out to their networks too. Like, Hey, you know, this is happening, you know, let's talk about this. Right. And, um, yeah, I came back, and um, I think we're we're going to try and do this like yearly, and try and go even deeper, because I think that it was a great introduction, but I think that we could have covered a couple areas that you know people really don't want to cover, but it's important, right? Because I know that I suffer from still today on a daily basis. I have to check somebody in a meeting, or you know, and I also have to be you know mindful about certain things, right? And you know that they don't have to. You know, when I say they, I mean, like white folks that are in my same position right. or at the same level that I'm in. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, we still go through it. And it's it's difficult. You know, it's difficult. And uh, we had to put that information together ourselves because we couldn't find any.
1: Well, to that point, though, why do you think that IND programs? So I have a, I have a bevy of my own theories, right? <laughs> but why do you think when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, we don't zoom in on black male um, or um, brown male experiences specifically
2: I don't think people really want that wake up call yet you know what I mean Um, I do yeah (laughs) I think that uh, I think that people want to imagine that hey you know they got to this particular spot in their career you know they're making this particular amount of money you know they should be happy right and but they don't know that for a lot of us I mean, a lot of us, man, a lot of us, you know, we have to deal with on a daily basis that they never have to deal with. They never have to deal with, but nobody really wants to put light on that, you know, because then that would mean that we have to do some more work. And I think people don't want to do that. You know, I think that, you know, people try and find the easiest and fastest way to get to a certain point. Right. But when we're talking about something that's this complicated and this nuanced, it, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some serious work, and um, uh, what is it uh, the implicit bias trainings and all that kind of? <laughs> that's not enough. You know, I mean, that's that's like hypodizing.
1: No, one hundred percent. No, they don't, and it's it's aggravating too. Because even so, and I was I've talked to so in my current job and then at previous jobs too. But like I have mentors here. Um, and I've talked to folks about, look, you know, the challenge that, that what I find it frustrating about us always running to implicit bias is that it makes the presumption that um, all biases, accidental or unconscious. Right. And it's like, no, some of y'all actively don't want black and brown people here. Right. Uh, some of, like, come on, like, let's not like, come on. It is 20 it is the age of our Beyonce 2019 we know the deal <laughs> we know we know we know where people line politically like more than ever we have in direct insight into people's uh, political ideologies mm-hmm. uh, beliefs and points of view on race gender sex religion mm-hmm. uh, sexuality like we know all these things so like let's not mm-hmm. act like everything is you know, Oh, I stumbled across this racist thing. Like, come on, that's not, that's not the reality. Um, so let me, let me ask you this. Cause as I, as we, we kind of wrap up, um, what are some of the challenges that you've come across as a black executive leader within an ID space? Cause you're the second person you're the only, you're only the second person in one of these positions that I've met that is a black man. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Working with not. So, so you're in this position, right? Typically I see folks in this position are white women. Um, and maybe even, uh, white women who are who identify as LGBTQ, right? Um, right. right? But but what as a black man, what does uh, what does influence and coalition building look like in your position?
2: Influence and coalition building in my position, well, one is you know one you got to have allies. I don't believe that we're in a position right mm-hmm. now that we have a power right now to be able to make the change that we need to make without powerful allies, right? So. Ooh. But at the same time, those powerful allies are working with biases themselves. So you need to make sure that you're training them up, mentoring up with them to make sure that when they are supporting you, that they can support you effectively and they know where it's coming from. I agree with you in in many ways that yeah, I don't I don't necessarily think let me change that. I don't believe that bias is a strong enough word once for one thing. Two, I don't believe that it is all implicit. Um, I do think that some people are just that way, and they just they just believe, you know, all the propaganda and rhetoric that has been going on in the United States forever about us, right? And right. coalition building really means getting rid of some of that, you know, doing the doing the you know behavioral change and thought change is important. You know, that kind of thing has to happen before people can really try to s- support you because they have to understand that they are being affected and their actions are being affected by things that they've been taught for most of their lives in the United States. You know, United States, man, what you know, this is this is a country built on racism. It's a country, you know that, built on the backs of us, you know, the, you know, whether you're Asian, Latino, Native American, you know, I mean, it's, that's what this, this country's built on. Straight up. To this day. To this day. day. Right? To this day. And we have to get to a place where we recognize that. We have to get to a place where we're not okay with it. It is something that we're ashamed of, but it's something that we're going to admit, right? That this is what's going on with us. And we need to move forward from here. That's coalition building. You know getting people to really understand the mistakes that were made that's up to them own up to them make some
1: changes right you can't you can't do that right i mean I, I love it and you know this is the thing you're the first person who i've had a conversation with who talks about the fact the coalition building is not only bringing things in but also pushing things away right yes it's both and i love that i love Absolutely. it well let, let's do this let's do this um if you had 3 points of advice for any leader seeking to specifically recruit and engage black men what would, what would they be
2: Make sure that for you, what you want to invite them to is welcoming of black men Do that right I mean don't ask me to come to your house if your house is falling apart Don't do that yeah. right Make sure your house is right first right Make sure that you work with recruiting to help them to understand that yes they are out there you just have to work a little bit harder make sure that you work with your executive staff to make sure that they're on board with whatever programs that you put in place so that you can make sure that you keep people once they get there
1: i love it and just like that now listen y'all don't you heard you heard lionel's advice so we're looking at you now so you're gonna come around trying to invite black black and brown men to your organizations and we looking back at you like look don't don't play yourself pay attention uh this has been great lighting up before we get out of here any parting words shout outs
2: no man thank you for having me uh, you know we got a lot of work to do uh, you know we're nowhere near where we could be and a lot of this is about the economic divide the wealth gap um and it's just gonna get wider and wider and Lighter, we got to get on we got to get on you know our bikes, man we got to get to work we got you know, we got to get to work we got to get to work
1: well, they're, they're projecting they're projecting that the, the median uh wealth of black families uh and uh, from a household perspective will be zero dollars like by 2050 or so so you're absolutely right we got it man line this has been i'm not I'm, I'm like no shade to everybody else yo this has been top two dopest conversations we've had on living corporate thank you so much for being a guest We very much so want to have you back. We'll talk about that offline until next time. Y'all, this has been Zach. You've been listening to Lionel Lee at the Zillow group. Make sure you check out all of his information links in the show notes. Catch y'all next time. Peace.
0: Living corporate is a podcast by living corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins.